0: This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Farmers and ranchers are central to the myth of the American West, but for African-Americans, discriminatory lending, government bias, and community violence often turn that myth into a nightmare. For one Colorado ranching family, that
1: nightmare has become national news. We've seen throughout history where, you know, when Black people move places, there are forces, whether political or police, that can collaborate to get you out of your land. Racism and ranching
0: coming up on a word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to a word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Courtney and Nicole Mallory bought Colorado's Freedom Acre Ranch in 2020. And almost since the beginning, they've claimed that their neighbors have been targeting them with racist taunts, threats, destruction of their property, and killing of their livestock. Years of back and forth allegations and calls to police culminated with an arrest of the Mallory's themselves. Earlier this month, a video of Courtney Mallory's arrest went viral and brought the story national attention. It also brought back painful memories of African-American farmers and ranchers being systematically deprived of resources, cheated, and pushed off their land. Joining us to talk about it is Ezekiel Walker. He's the senior editor for the Black Wall Street Times, which has been covering the story. Ezekiel Walker,
1: welcome to A Word. Thank you for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. When did this story first come to your attention? It was about two weeks ago. It was actually before the viral video came, you know, to be. It was crazy to me now as it was then. When you think about, you know, black farmers and you think about the history of, you know, our people here in America, farming has been a part of our culture for so long. It's been a part of us for so long. So when I saw the story, it was an immediate, you know, like the hairs on the back of my neck just kind of stood up. And I was like, Well, what's going on here? Because first of all, to for to see a story where a black man and a black woman have six hundred and forty acres is a story in and of itself, which should be celebrated. And then to see that it was being threatened and it was being, you know, regularly targeted. And then also just kind of seeing the back and forth what they've had with the El Paso uh, County Sheriff's Department. It was just so many questions that I had and so many I's that weren't dyed and T's that weren't crossed yet. It just kind of drove my interest in the story. And that's what made me write. So tell us a little bit about
0: Courtney and Nicole Mallory. Who are these people? What drives somebody to buy You know, to acquire 600 acres of land and and be a farmer. Tell us a little bit about them as a couple and and their journey to acquire the land.
1: What I have learned is, you know, a lot of what their history, what brought them to Colorado, was the Hurricane Harvey in uh, Houston. You know, they were rudely disrupted by the realities of the place that they were moving into. Since they've been there, they've you know, they've alleged there have been so many uh, targets on their property, as far as not just the livestock, but literally the property itself. And one of the most interesting things about the case is you know, the fact that there's been 170 calls to the El Paso Sheriff's Department in two years. There's a lot going on. So trying to figure out that and trying to figure out, you know, not not only their motivations for getting there, but their motivations for wanting to stay, because a lot of this, as we know, has been used as a tactics to, you know, to get black people to move off their land or to sell it, you know, for less than they bought it for or to just take the land itself. So this is an active situation. Um, They had a rally recently where they were supported by a lot of people, not just in Colorado, but around the country. There has been an online campaign where they raised, I believe, over $200,000 to this point. The commonality and the story itself is something that a lot of black folks and people just outside of black folks too just relate to and want to help them get through.
0: There's a video circulating of Courtney Mallory finding one of his animals dead with signs of it being poisoned. Here's the clip.
1: How much? About 12 grand worth of meat. Gone. Ruined. You know what I mean? Because the motherfuckers are poisoned. Can't, can't do much with it now. It's a hard pill to swallow, man. You, you, you wake up every morning and you, you do this for a living, know what I'm saying? But you got outside people working against you. Then law enforcement, and ain't, ain't, they don't give a damn. They don't want to do their part. You, it's never enough for them. That's like I say, you always got to prove, know what I'm saying, something to them. You always got to prove something to them. But when they say something, it's the fucking gospel. You know what I'm saying? That's bullshit. Absolutely. Yeah, if you right. call the cops now and told them that your animal
0: was poisoned, obviously it's bleeding from the mouth and nose. Right. What would they say? They would probably hang up on me. Both of the Mallory's say that the way local police have treated them is worse than what their neighbors would have done. What do they specifically point to as evidence that the police have ignored their complaints or may actively be helping their neighbors harass them to get them out of the neighborhood.
1: That's been the issue so far is that they haven't had a certain amount of proof or evidence, the poisoning that we just showed. You know, there's evidence in that way, but they haven't seen the smoking gun necessarily. So the community itself has not necessarily been inviting to the Mallory since they've arrived as well. El Paso County Sheriff's Department has reached out to a lot of the people in the community to actually motivate them to get them out of their community. And this is alleged by the Mallory's. It is somewhat speculation, maybe a little bit of innuendo here and there, but literally um, no arrest has been made since the animal poisoning that we just talked about or just showed as well too. So there hasn't been much justice. There's been the tension now, but the justice is still very far from, uh, from reach. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short
0: break and we come back more on the crisis for black ranchers in Colorado. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered A Word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at aword@slate.com. Thank you. You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about allegations of bias against black ranchers with Ezekiel Walker of the Black Wall Street Times. We must say local authorities are telling a different story. They're alleging that the Mallories are harassing and stalking their neighbors. How are the police claiming that this couple is somehow waging a harassment campaign against their neighbors?
1: That's the crazy part, because both of them are allegedly slinging somewhat of the same allegations towards each other about stalking and about harassment and about, you know, maybe you shouldn't be on my property at this time or you are on my property. You know, they've taken cameras on each other's property to film each other. So there's been a lot of ugliness to this whole thing for the last two years, because for 170 calls to be made to the same sheriff's department, a lot, obviously, a lot's been done in two years. And on February 7th, Courtney was arrested on felony stalking, uh, petty theft and tampering with a utility meter. Now, I say that to say, you know, he was arrested for that and and sure, there's going to be a case filed later for that actual dispute. But a large part of what's happening for him and for Nicole is that they're not being responded to in the same amount of urgency. And we know this within, you don't have to be in a rural area. You can be in the inner city or anywhere to know police typically respond slower to black calls, unfortunately. But for them, they're trying to get, you know, necessarily a restraining order and uh, they had a temporary protection order in December, 2021, alleging that Teresa Clark was just, you know, the white, the white neighbor was chasing her in her vehicle, stalking and pointing guns, but nothing was done to her. You know, she wasn't brought in for questioning. So a lot of what we're seeing is the kind of like one sidedness to the police and what they're doing uh, to the Mallory's in this particular case. So here's the thing. And I, I want to understand
0: this for context. How big is local law enforcement? Is this kind of a one share of town? Does everything have to be filtered through one officer uh,
1: or one sheriff who may or may not be responsive. It, it seems to be with the culture of the sheriff's department itself. Both the Mallories have stated on multiple occasions that they felt that the police have let them down, you know, numerous times in this because they've they felt in a new area in a new state where they don't know anyone. Whenever there's a problem, they need to contact law enforcement, and so far they felt that they've been ignored, and not only ignored, but they feel like law enforcement may have been conspiring against them as well. So it's, it's not just a one. One sheriff or one officer or one, you know anything they're looking at it systemically, and they're saying that you know the system itself and their neighbors and the community itself is you know essentially turned against them.
0: What are the sort of larger political implications right now in Colorado? and I know uh, Colorado has a you know a fairly liberal governor, Jared Polis. How are state reps or whatever member of Congress representing their area? Have they gotten involved in this? What are the the, the sort of political ramifications now that the story has moved from Colorado and it's getting
1: some national attention? The political ramifications, to be honest, there hasn't been any assertiveness in getting this, you know, handled immediately. Um, this is something that, you know, they've contacted their political representation as well, but they haven't necessarily gotten any responsiveness uh, so far. So it seems like a lot of their support hasn't come necessarily from people that are, you know, in position to make these changes, but it's come from, again, the people that are interested in telling their story and people that attended their rallies and people like you that are continuing to just breathe life into what's going on and for us to understand exactly how it got to this point and this bad this soon. Because like I said, 170 calls in two years is a lot. And there's a lot that they have not released as well in those calls. So there's still questions. This is still the developing story. And we're just you know waiting to see what, what happens, what develops further. This sounds like a very special season
0: of Yellowstone in the worst way possible and it and it's and it's really distressing to hear. Um you know, both of the Mallorys are now out on bond and Courtney Mallory recorded a video to respond to the national support he and his wife have received. Let's play that clip.
1: I'd like to say thank you world, you know, for for sticking in there with me. The fight is the fight is not over. I've been informed this morning by a fellow service member that the police were called on us five times this past weekend for doing work on our land performing for farming while black. That's not a crime. You know, Elijah McClain would still be alive to this day if it wasn't for somebody calling and saying that a black man is walking down the street. That's not a crime. None of that is a crime.
0: You know, in the video, Courtney Mallory mentions Elijah McClain. He's the 23-year-old black man who was violently arrested and forcibly injected with what turned out to be a fatal dose of ketamine back in 2019, all because somebody called the police on him as he was walking home. Zeke, the thing that gets me here is that it's one thing uh, for people to be exchanging phone calls back and forth. It's another thing for neighbors to essentially be swatting the Mallory's? because that 's what this seems to be at this point it it appears as though their neighbors are weaponizing the police in order to harass these
1: folks is that is that how the Mallory's feel that's exactly how they see it and their solution is somewhat of a, a, a larger plan to you know the Karen act uh, that's something that a lot of the supporters at the rally are looking to implement uh, for those that don't know Karen Act you know the caution against racially exploitative non emergencies when people call police on black folks when black folks aren't doing anything but being black folks, (laughs) essentially what it it is, what it uh, means. So, uh, yeah, they're looking forward to having people in the community and people outside the community, you know, online or in person, uh, help them to bring forth the change because like I said, the police and the community itself, they feel are working, you know, in collaboration together against them to move them either off of the land, to take their land, to poison the land, to do whatever, you know, with 640 acres, it's impossible to know what's going on at all times. So there's been a lot of attention to it, which is positive, but it's still a developing situation and they don't know exactly how it's going to turn out right now. We're going to
0: take a short break and we come back more about allegations of racism at the Freedom Acres Ranch with journalist Ezekiel Walker. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about allegations of racism in ranching with Ezekiel Walker of the Black Wall Street Times. Ezekiel, what could be the ultimate motivation here? Is it an attempt to just get the Mallories off the land? Do you think there could be larger forces at play that want to buy the land from them? Because what we've often seen with harassment of Black farmers is that large agribusinesses and bigger white-owned ranches and farms weaponize the state to harass people off their land so they can buy it at at a cheaper rate. Do you think that's going on or really is this just sort of a neighbor dispute?
1: I mean, Jason, I don't don't see why we have to choose either or, honestly. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, just the envy that comes along with seeing black people doing well in areas that we're not typically in. You know, the Mallory's came from nowhere and they automatically became their, you know, their neighbors. And I'm, I'm sure their white neighbors saw them as their black neighbors and not just their neighbors. We've seen throughout history where. You know, when black people move places, whether it was during the Great Migration or even, you know, I live in the South, whether you stay where you are, even in the South, there are forces, you know, whether political or, you know, police that can collaborate to get you out of your land. And unfortunately, it's been a recurring theme. I know there are a lot of restorative efforts now to return land to, you know, certain black people and their families and things like that. But there's no reason why this couldn't be both. I want to talk a bit about your publication,
0: The Black Wall Street Times. You guys are headquartered in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're named after the historic Black Wall Street there that was destroyed uh, in the massacre of 1921. Over the last century, there's been sort of extended conversations about paying back or at least in some way acknowledging by the state and local businesses what occurred. There are only, I think, two, maybe three survivors of the Tulsa attack in 1921. As a paper that's based in Tulsa and Black Wall Street, what is your paper's position been? And have you had conversations with people like Demario Solomon Simmons, who's been the lawyer and advocate for the remaining survivors and finally getting some real reparations, not just from the state, but possibly from the federal government?
1: Definitely. And we know this is a statewide and federal issue, but the paper's founder is Nehemiah Frank. He's been very involved with uh, reparations in Tulsa and fighting for this and fighting for the descendants of the, the Tulsa race massacre in 1921. Right now, It's a fight that we're continuing to fight because it's not going to be one that's easily won. Unfortunately, they've been blocking and they've been stalemating a lot in the last, I would say, two to three years since I became personally involved with it. So I know that it's going to be a long fight, a long battle, but the fight for reparations isn't one that's just going to be dismissed. That's not what's going to happen you know, we're going to continue to fight for our people. We're going to continue to fight for them. We're going to continue to fight for the people of Tulsa, Oklahoma, America. We realize that the story is so universal that it has to be handled and dealt with universally too. It can't just be, well, we got them reparations, but what about the rest of us? So like to answer your question, yes, we are definitely uh, working to uh, address that for the descendants of the massacre, because if any of us deserve it, they do. But we also care about the whole of
0: us as well. This is the other thing that I think, I want the audience to really understand about what's happening in Colorado. We hear stories all the time of Black people moving into neighborhoods and being mistreated. Part of what makes the Mallory story interesting is it blows up this notion and this stereotype that rural America is all white. It's not. It's never been all white. There have always been Black farmers. There have always been Black ranchers. They usually just get kicked off of their property. So between working for a paper that's based in Tulsa... And doing a story about Black ranchers in Colorado, what's the other message that you want sort of the public to understand about Black people who don't live in major cities? What else do we need to understand about the story of rural Black America that all too often is ignored uh, if you're not talking about people in the Mississippi Delta?
1: There are so many different types of Black people in America. And one of the things that I've learned and loved so much about, you know, this job that is being senior editor is I've been able to cover all types of black folks. And I love it because there are so many different things that we're interested in. So many things that we're doing. So when I learned about this story with black ranchers, it honestly uh, made me reflect on a story I'd written last year about um, a black birder. People who watch uh, birds in the communities and document and talk about it it's a whole community. And for me, that was my first time learning about it. And I think once you learn more about people doing things outside of what you expect them to do, it kind of raises your own expectation for those people. What can we say now
0: is likely next in this case? The Mallory's are out. The harassment has continued. Phone calls are still being made. They've talked to politicians. What's the next step? Is it just, you know, fighting against their arrest? Uh, Are are people marching down to protest about their
1: neighbors? Are they trying to get the sheriff replaced? What's next in this case? Well, there are a couple of court dates coming up. Her neighbor, Teresa Clark, was arrested in September of of 2022 for allegedly walking uh, on their property and filming the Mallory's cameras. So like I said, that's set for April.
0: You know, I always like to end the podcast on a positive note, give people things they can do, ways they can engage, ways they can be supportive. So how can people support the work that you're doing at the Black Wall Street Times and the paper in general?
1: Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate that question. Definitely visiting the site. Uh, we have a newsletter there. We always have programming throughout the, uh, the month. Black History Month is still big for us. It's Black History Every Day at Black Wall Street Times, but we particularly like to show a little extra love this month, but uh, definitely check us out. And again, thank you, Jason, for the question. I appreciate that.
0: Ezekiel Walker is the senior editor of the Black Wall Street Times. Thank you so much for joining us today on A Word. Thank you. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula, Ben Richmond, is Slate's Senior Director of Operations for Podcasts. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for word.